the title of this message is Don't Worry. Turn to your neighbor and say, Don't Worry. Turn to your neighbor behind you and say, Stop Worrying. Turn to your neighbor to your other side and say, Don't Worry About It. Because by the time you leave this, this service tonight, that's what you're going to be thinking. That's what you're going to be saying. Amen. So I'm not going to take the time to, to, uh, to uh, review because there's just so much that I have tonight to share with you. And um, I'm hoping that I can get all this out for the next two hours. I think that would be sufficient. Don't worry. I was just joking. So... We began to talk about the subject of worry. We talked about what it means, and uh, we learned about the biblical definition for worry, which is to assume a responsibility that is not ours to assume. The reason for that is because our worries belong to God. It's his responsibility. First Peter 5, 7 says to casting all our cares to him because he cares for you. And so we've learned that, and we also learned uh, what the Bible says about worry. And the Bible says a lot about that. It says, it tells us how harmful and how destructive where we can be physically, emotionally, as well as spiritually. We've also learned that worry breeds more worry. We saw that with Martha, who was a worrier. And the Bible says that she was worried and troubled about many things. And so worry opens the door to all kinds of things. We also learned that to worry is to be ruled by the circumstances. We saw that in Peter's example, when he jumped out of the boat in faith and actually began to walk on water until he turns his focus of attention from Jesus to the circumstances. And because of that, he began to drown until Jesus pulled him out of the water. Worry will allow, will cause the circumstances to, to rule us because we're so focused on it. And you know what happens is that when we meditate that's what we do. We meditate on the things that we worry about. And, of course, it becomes bigger. And, and, of course, it affects us emotionally, mentally, and also can affect us physically. We also learned that worry is sin. And even though the Bible doesn't explicitly say that worry is sin, but there are many verses in the Bible that clearly indicates that it is. When the Bible says to be anxious for nothing, that is not a request. That is a command. And when we don't be anxious for nothing, but be anxious for everything, then we violated a direct command from the Lord. So we learned so much about that. We also learned that when we worry, we communicate a wrong message to God. We're telling God, Lord, I don't trust you enough with my situation. Not only does it communicate a wrong message to God, but think about what it communicates to those about God, to others. We're saying to others that we don't have confidence in God's ability to handle our situation. And the Bible wants us to be a witness, but when we worry, it undermines our witness and communicate a wrong message about God. And we all talked about also that worry is living below God's standards. The Bible says that we live by faith and not by sight. Anything short of that is living below his standard. And so those are things that we covered and talked about last week. And again, I don't want to get too much into that. Uh, I would recommend that you get the tape from last week if you wasn't here last week. Um, but let's talk about the other subjects that I want to touch tonight. We want to talk about why is it possible to live a worry-free life? 
We're going to answer that question. We also want to talk about how we can overcome the temptations of, of worry when it comes knocking at our door. So if you have your Bibles with you, go to 1 Peter chapter 5, and we'll go there. Imagine living a life worry-free. Imagine that. Never have to worry about anything. Never feel anxious about nothing. Never feel apprehension about your future. Never feel remorse about your past. Just living a life of joy, peace, with nothing to worry about. And I'm sure that most of us have a hard time imagining that. Because worry has been so much a part of our lives. We would, we would consider professionals when it comes to worry. And we can relate to that because everyone does it. But there is a possi- there, it is possible for us to live a, a carefree and worry-free life. In 1 Peter 5, verse 7 says this, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. God's direction for all of our cares and all of our worries and all of our anxieties is to cast them or roll them over unto the Lord. That's his instructions for worry. Let me use an illustration. The best way to really enjoy a banana is by taking the banana peel off. How many didn't know that? Yeah, you can actually enjoy a banana when you take the banana peel off. Then you eat the banana. But the question is, what do you do with the banana peel? Well, naturally, you throw it away. There's a a designated area or spot to put your banana peel, either in the trash or for some in the compost. So it would be silly for you to decide to take that banana peel and shove it in your pocket and carry it the rest of the day. That's just ridiculous. Why? Because what's the point in carrying a banana peel all day, all week, when there's a designated spot or area to put the banana peel. Same is with worry. God has provided us a designated area for us to cast all of our cares and all of our worries to him. Why would it make sense to carry all week and all, all month and all year these worries and these cares? It doesn't make any sense. There's no point in carrying all of these things with us when God has already provided us a designated spot to place our cares. So because of that, it is possible, if we do that, it is possible to live a peaceful, quiet, and worry-free life. Now, so when the Bible says to cast all of our cares, all means all. That means everything. Our cares, our worries, our anxieties, everything. Understand that the caring part's already been provided for. All that's needed to do is simply our part by casting our cares to him. And that, my friends, is a decision that we make. And here's the key. Just like Peter, it took him faith to step out of the boat And to be able to completely trust in the Lord's command, in this case, to stop worrying. Not only because of casting our cares to him, but watch this, but leaving our cares with him. See, this is where so many of us struggle. It's easy to say, Lord, I cast all of my cares to him. We bring, we come to the altar, we cast our burdens before the altar. 
And then we leave the altar with the same burdens that we try to bring it before the altar, before God. This is where so many of us struggle. We are to cast all of our cares to him, and we are to leave all of our cares with him. That's the key. And if we can do that, then what's left is a peaceful, quiet, worry-free life. You think you can do that? Yes, you can. We all can because it's a matter of a decision. We decide, I'm not going to worry about this. When I take my kids before the Lord, I'm relinquishing all responsibility from it and handling it to him. It is no longer my responsibility. It's his. So I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not even going to talk about it. Because as far as I'm concerned, it's his, not mine. Amen. So it is possible to live a worry-free life if we learn to cast all our cares to him and then leave it there with him. Another reason why it's possible for us to live a worry-free life is found in Matthew chapter 6. If you go there with me, Matthew chapter 6 and in verse 25, it is very clear that God does not want us to live life filled with worry and anxiety. That was not God's decision. Um, God's purpose and will for us to live. That's not the abundant life that he promised us. In Matthew chapter 6, and in verse 25, says this, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. That's a command. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. And I want you to pay close attention to the last part of that verse. I've always struggled with that last part because I didn't understand what Jesus meant when he said that life is more than food and the body more than clothing. What he was saying is this, your life and your body is more important than food, water, and clothing. Now we all know how important food is and water, and we all certainly know how important clothes is. God, we certainly know how important clothes are. Amen. But yet God says your life and your body is more important than that. So the question I have is this. Who provides our lives and our bodies? God does. Who creates our lives and our bodies? God does. In Genesis chapter 2, we read where God took the earth and formed man, and he breathed life into man. And he became a living soul. So life began with God. So when he says our life and our body is far more important than water, food, and clothing, what he's saying is this. If God is powerful enough to create life, then how much is God able to do to sustain that life that he created? Let me give you, let let me put it like this. God had blessed my wife and I with the lives of four children. We loved those children. And because we loved those children, we did everything that was possible to make sure they were brought up right, make sure they were well-fed, make sure they were clothed, make sure that we pray for them, teach them, guide them. We did everything to take care of them, everything that is as best that we could, because we loved them. God had entrusted that, those lives to us. And we didn't do it just because God entrusted it to us, but also because we loved them. We cared about their lives. 
So we did everything we could, all the sacrifices, all the time, all the effort, all the prayers to raise our children the way we wanted to, the way the Lord would want us to, as best we can. Don't you think that God will also do the same for us? Because he created you, don't you think that he's going to do all that he can do to care for you, to take care of you, to look after you, to feed you, to sustain you, because you're that important to him? And that's the message that Jesus is setting here. Your life is more important than the things we worry about. Don't worry about what to eat, what to drink, or what to wear. That's, that's nothing. Your life is more important to God, and because your life is more important, God's going to provide those things anyway. Do you hear what I'm saying? Psalm 55, verse 22 says that cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. And he will never permit the righteous to be moved or to be shaken. When Moses led the children of Israel <coughs> out of Egypt, it was said that he led two to three million people out of Egypt. Now, that's a lot of people to, t- to care for. And it was estimated that to feed that many people, that large, that size, it would take almost 1,500 tons of food a day. That's the equivalent of two freight trains a mile long to feed that many people. And it also would take 11 million gallons of water a day to be able to provide water for a group that size. Now that's a lot to, take, to be able to take care of these people. But yet God says their lives and their body was far more important than that. And because they're far more important than that, God made sure that he sustained them while they were in the wilderness. Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? One of the reasons why it's possible for us to live a a carefree life is because God promised to take care of us. That's what he does. So if God cherishes life more then all we worry about, then don't you think that he will do what it takes to make sure that our life, which he cherishes, will be provided for? And that's the message that Jesus is trying to get to his listeners and also to us. Our lives are far more important than the things that we worry about. Then he goes down in verse 26, as Jesus continues to convince his listeners that God cares about them, and so they need not worry about anything. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 26, he begins to use the illustration of the birds of the air. And he goes on to say, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into bars, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. These birds are an example of God's ability to provide. And the question is, what is God's relationship to the birds? Well, the relationship that he has with the birds is a creator and his creation. And Jesus' message to the listeners and to us tonight is this. If God can take care of his creation, how much more will he take care of his children? Amen. See, the relationship that we have with God is a father and son and father and daughter relationship. And that is far more important 
than feeding the birds. And then he says in the last part of that verse, are you not more value than the birds? So if God considers us of great value, don't you think he's going to take care of you? Don't you think he's going to provide for you? Don't you think he's going to protect you? We can live a carefree life if we get a hold of this and realize that God promised to take care of us and he is a man of his word. He is a God of his word. Go to Isaiah 58. Again, like just to show you how much God really cares about us. And I can really camp right here in this subject. But Isaiah 58 and verse 11 says this. The, the prophet Isaiah tells us that the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. And he says, you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. When the prophet Isaiah said that God will guide us continually, that implies his constant presence in our lives. When he led the children of Israel in the wilderness under the leadership of Moses, he used a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of smoke by day. When those pillars moved, they struck their tents and they packed up everything and they moved. When it stopped, they would stop and make camp. But the pillars don't disappear because it's resting on above the, the tabernacle. So God's presence was always there. God's presence is constantly with us as well. His presence is within us. It's called the Holy Ghost. And he will constantly guide us and lead us to where we need to go. So he promises constant presence and his constant presence is in us. Then he goes on to say, he will satisfy your soul in drought. Now, drought signifies emptiness. It signifies barrenness, dryness, or shortage. So, and that, that, that could be emotionally, that could cover physically, spiritually, financially, materially, socially. So when you find yourself in a season of drought, when you find yourself in a season of emptiness, when you find yourself in a season of dryness, when you find yourself being short of things, when you find yourself in a place of barren, he says he will satisfy you in the midst of that drought, in the midst of your emptiness, in the midst of your dryness. The word satisfied means filled to satisfaction. It also means to be full or to have plenty. Or to have enough. So when you find yourself in a place of barren. Or a place of dryness. Or when you feel like you're, you're in a place of emptiness. He promises to fill you to satisfaction. And make sure that you're full of. Or have plenty of. Or have enough. To fulfill your lack. To satisfy you. We're talking about a God. That cares. I remember the story 
in First Kings chapter 17 where Elijah was instructed by God to hide by the brook Cherith. And this was a time during a famine. And he says, there you will drink the water. And on top of that, I'm going to provide you catering service. And I'm going to send ravens to feed you twice a day with meat and bread. No rice, no potatoes, sorry, but meat and bread. And I think about that and I'm saying, wow, Lord. Even in the midst of famine, God will find a way to satisfy your need. It doesn't matter what season you're in. If you're in a season of emptiness, if you're in a season of dryness, if you're in a season of barrenness, if you're in a season of shortages, God says, I'm going to satisfy in the midst of your drought, in the midst of your emptiness. And then as we continue with the story of Elijah, after the brook dried out, Elijah didn't get disappointed. Elijah didn't complain. God came in and instructed him. He said, okay, I've got something else for you. I want you to go to, the, to Zarephath, and there I commanded a widow woman to sustain you. And when he got into that city, he saw the widow woman. And the widow woman who was supposed to sustain him, all she had was a little bit of cruise, a little bit of meal, and some sticks. Now, most of us would get disappointed, discouraged, frustrated, even question if, did I really hear from God? Do I really, is this the, the widow woman that I'm supposed to be in contact with? But Elijah had so much confidence in God. He didn't let that deter him at all. But instead, he demanded and insisted that this woman feed him. And causing the woman to step out in faith herself. And the Bible says that they had enough to eat. They had, the, the, the oil was full. The meal was full, and they had so much to sustain them throughout the famine. God just knows how to fill you to satisfaction in the moment of your drought. And I share this with you just to show you how much God cares. God is not oblivious to what you're going through. But understand, because God is so good and because God cares about you, he's already working out a situation, a plan for your situation. You just got to believe that. Amen. Amen. Psalm 23, verse 1. I want to read that to you from the Amplified Version. He said, the Lord is my shepherd to feed, to guide, and to shield me. I shall not lack. When we talk about a shepherd, we're talking about a shepherd who looks after his sheep, cares for his sheep, protects his sheep, provides for his sheep. That's what God does with us. We're his sheep, and he's committed to taking care of us. Man, I tell you, you just don't, you're not getting this. Another reason why it's possible for us to live a worry-free, carefree life, if you go back to Matthew chapter 6, is because God knows our situation. As I mentioned to you, God is not oblivious to the things that we're going through. He's not completely oblivious to the things that, that we need. But God knows exactly what we need. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 31, it says this, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? 
For after all of these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. What things? The things that we worry about. What are you worrying about? What keeps you up at night? What's causing all all kinds of anxiety in your life? What's causing your blood pressure to rise and giving you headaches? He said, God already knows that you already have those needs. There's a story about an ocean liner that once was caught in a turbulent storm. And as the passengers were putting on their life jackets and taking the cabins, they, they saw a little girl in one of the cabins sitting on her bed playing. And they told her about the storm. But she didn't seem to have any sense of urgency. And they asked her, aren't you worried? And the little girl says this, no. My father is the captain. And he knows where I am. God knows where you are. He knows where you are spiritually. He knows where you are emotionally. He knows where you are physically. He knows where you are financially. Listen, God knows more about you than you know about yourself. He knows how much money you got in the bank and how much money you need. He knows what's going to cost you to go to grocery stores next, next week. He knows what your physical condition is now and what's it going to be five years from now. He knows what the economy is going to be like in five years. He knows what gas is going to cost in six months. So God knows all these things. He knows, certainly knows about you. God knows where you are. So don't cry and whine and complain because you don't think nobody cares. Nobody knows what you're going through. The one that really matters knows that you're going through, what you're going through. And he's the one that can provide your answer. He's the one that can really minister to your needs. So don't get mad at somebody because they don't call you or, or they don't know what you're going through or nobody asks anything about you. Go to the one that really matters, the one who really cares. He's going to take care of you. He knows where you are and he knows what you need. So if, if that's who God is, then I have this question for you. What is there to worry about? I'll ask that question again. What is, what is there to worry about? Oh, man, I wish I had more time. Got an hour and a half more to go. I don't think that's enough. Go to Matthew chapter 6. If you're, if you're Matthew, all right, go to, go to verse 33. Another reason why it's possible for us to live a worry-free life is because when we take care of God's business, he'll take care of our business. Matthew 6, 33 says this, but seek or continually seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things shall be added to you. Now, to many people, Jesus is nothing. To some people, Jesus is something. But to few people, Jesus is everything. When we make Jesus everything in our life, and take care of his business, he will make you everything in his life and take care of your business. Amen. 
Could you wait till the end of the service? Okay, all right, thank you. Because I want to hear what you have to say. But I, I, I believe God is really moving tonight. So thank you for that. In verse 33, notice what Jesus says. And all these things shall be added to you. He didn't say that 75% of the things will be added to you. He didn't say 85% will be added to you. He says all of these things will be added to you. What things he's talking about? All the things that you're worrying about. So if you concern yourself with his business, with his kingdom, he'll concern himself with yours. The Bible says in Psalm 138 and verse 8 that the Lord will perfect that which concerns you. When we Put our focus on God. As a matter of fact, what I said last week, when we, God does not want us to do for him at the expense of being with him. As a matter of fact, we'll go back to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. The story of Martha and Mary. And we're going to look in verse 41. And you know the story. We covered this last week where in verse 40, Martha was distracted and with much serving. And in verse, and to the point where she began to complain to Jesus. It's a big mistake. You don't complain to Jesus. And then Jesus looked at her in verse 41. It says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. And in verse 42 says, but the one thing that is needed and Mary has chosen the good part which will never be taken away from her. What Martha was doing was not wrong, but she chose the wrong time to do that. Because in that moment, there was only one thing needed, and that was to be with Jesus. Mary sought the kingdom of God first. Martha sought to serve first. Mary was at peace and was ministered to. Martha was troubled and worried about many things and was frustrated. When we seek God's kingdom and put him first place, we are completely trusting him to take care of all of our cares and all of our worries. And when we do that, he will take care of your needs. I used to rest on this verse. I used to, I used to live there, right here because I was going through some stuff in my own life. And I realized that that verse really spoke to me. I'm talking about Matthew 6.33. And I realized that if I put my focus on God, because I was worried about a lot of things. I was like Martha. I was worried and troubled about many things. I did not sleep very well because of what I was going through. But I learned to rest in him when I found that verse and said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he promised that all of these things will be added to me. And you know what? God did exactly that. So I'm not telling you just because it's here in the word. I'm telling this from my own personal experience that when you focus on God and put him first place, make him your everything. God's going to take care of your business. And even though you may not see it, even though you may not feel it or hear it, but rest assured, God is taking care of your business. Because you've chosen him and placed him first place in your life. Amen. In Psalm 34, verse 10, let me go there. It says this. 
Psalm 34 and verse 10. I hope I'm not messing you up there, Kevin. I'm going backwards. Psalm verse, uh, 34 verse 10 says, The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who what? Seek the Lord shall what? Not lack any good thing. When we focus and put our attention on taking care of God's business and not worry about our business, God is saying, okay, this person is focused in the right place, so now I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to meet whatever need they have. I'm going to fix whatever needs to be fixed. I'm going to take care of their problems. Because you know why? You're not worried about it. You're focused on something far more important than your worries. Jesus says in Luke 9, 62, know that uh, no one having put his hand on the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You can't say, I'm going to be all for God and, and be looking back on your worries. Because all that's going to do is shift your focus on the one that matters. And your focus is on the circumstances. And you don't want to be ruled by your circumstances because your circumstances are going to open up doors for a whole lot of other things that you do not need. And more importantly, it's going to draw you away from God. So it is possible to live a worry-free life because, number one, when we get a hold of the fact that God has a specific and designated place to cast all of our cares to him, and when we do that, not only are we casting it to him, but we're also leaving it with him, then we can experience some peace and joy, and worry-free. When we get a hold of the fact that God cares about us, that he wants to take care of our needs, that he wants to take care of everything in our lives, he wants to provide for us, he wants to look out for us because our lives and our bodies are far more important than the things we worry about. But because he cares about our lives and our bodies, it's only natural for him to want to provide and meet our needs and take care of us. And when we get a hold of that, we can live a worry-free life. When we understand that God knows what we need and knows where we are, that he's not oblivious to the things that are going on in our lives, but he cares affectionately and watches and cares about us watchfully, like a shepherd looking after his sheep. When we get a hold of the fact that he knows all that's going on in our lives, we can rest assured that he's going to take care of us. That will help us to live a worry-free life. And when we put God first and make him our everything and seek him first above seeking our own things, God promises that he's going to add all of those things to our lives. When we can focus on what really matters, God's going to take care of everything else on the other end. When we get a hold of that, then we can live a worry-free life. Now, how do we overcome temptation to worry? Because we've all been tempted to worry. Amen? Well, this is no great revelation. But go to Proverbs chapter 3. A very familiar passage of Scripture. But we can overcome worry by simply trusting him. What does it mean to trust in the Lord? It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And what is still in 34. Proverbs 3, verse 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. 
What does it mean to trust in the Lord? Understand that trusting implies not knowing all the answers. Not knowing what tomorrow is going to bring. Not knowing what next year is going to bring. Trust implies not knowing what's coming around the pike. But we don't have to know everything. But we can trust the God who knows everything. Amen? Because you see, faith trusts God. Worry doubts God. Go to Psalm 56. I don't think that's in my notes, Kevin. Psalm 56, verse 3, says this. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust you. How many have ever been afraid? We all have. When we come to a place of fear and worry, the psalmist says, I will trust you. In the midst of my fear, in the midst of my despair, I'm going to reach out and trust you anyway. In 2 Kings, go there, 2 Kings chapter 6, we read a story of Elisha. And the story goes, just to give a little background, where the king of Syria was looking for Elisha. Apparently, Elisha made a lot of enemies. And the king of Syria was looking for him. And when they found out where Elisha lived, he gathered up his army and went to the city that he lived and surrounded the city. And we pick up in verse 15. And it says, when the servant of the man of God, that's Elisha's servant, woke up early and he went out. And the first thing he sees was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? You want to talk about a person who was worried. His servant was worried, scared, didn't know what to do. Talk about a man who was in despair. But what I love is, is Elisha's response and attitude. He says, don't be afraid. Or he can say, don't worry. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then in verse 17, he prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And what did he see? Behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. It's interesting where it says that the soldiers of, 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 of Syria were surrounding the city. But the the horses and the chariots of fire were surrounding Elisha personally. You think that, you think that wherever we go and whatever we do, that there's a chariots of fire surrounding us? When we face circumstances and difficult situations in our lives, it's very easy to become worried and afraid when we forget that there's more with us than those against us. Don't you know that the angels of the Lord are surrounding you? Don't you, don't you know that the spirit of the living God lives inside of you? Don't you know that we've been equipped and we've been proclaimed as victorious and more than conquerors? So what is there to worry about? Elisha had every reason to be afraid. 
Because this is a very dangerous and very difficult situation because they came to kill him. But he wasn't worried. Because he understood that there was more with him. He understood that there was more power behind him than the danger that was facing him. And so when we get a hold of that, we can face any situation in our lives. And no matter how painful, how scary it may look, remind ourselves that there's more for us and more with us than against us. You see, Elisha had this confidence in the Lord. And man, that's what God is trying to build in us, a confidence in him. So no matter how desperate things may be, and I know some of you may be facing some desperate situations, and it's very easy to be worried. It's very easy to, uh, to fall into a place of despair. But I'm telling you and I'm trying to encourage you tonight. God knows already what you're going through, but he also has the answer. So you can face whatever situation you're facing, whether it's in your relationship, whether it's in your finances, whether it's in your job, whether it's your children, whatever it may be. I don't care what it is. There's nothing too big for God. Just simply trust him. Go to Philippians chapter 4. Oh my goodness, look at the time. <laughs> Thank you, John. Even if it's going to be just you and me tonight. <laughs> Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 says this. Be anxious for nothing. How do we overcome the temptation to worry? But in everything, by prayer and supplication. One of the greatest ways to overcome temptation to worry, or any temptation whatsoever, is prayer. Psalm 55, verse 22 says, Cast your burdens upon the Lord, and he shall sustain you, and he'll never permit the righteous to be moved. You can know freedom from anxiety and freedom from worry in everything if you pray about everything. Let me give you an example. Go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Another very well-known verse of scripture. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we read the story of Jehoshaphat. He found himself in a very serious situation. And we pick up in verse 1. Second Chronicles chapter 20, beginning verse 1, says this. And it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon, Tamar, which is En Gedi. Now, Jehoshaphat was in his place, minding his business, until he hears some bad news. That there is an army that has been formed to come against him and attack him. He was not prepared. He was not ready. Did not expect it. And even if he was prepared and ready, he didn't have enough soldiers or enough forces to come against these two nations. So he was in a bad situation. So he had every reason to worry and to panic. But look at his response. In verse 3, And Jehoshaphat feared, and he set himself to seek the Lord. And proclaimed the fast throughout all Judah. 
Yes, the situation caused him to become afraid and worried. But remember I told you there was a difference between being concerned and also being afraid. Real concern will cause you to do all that you need to do to try to rectify the situation, where worry will only lead you to panic and fear, and more importantly, away from God. When you're you're concerned, you're in control. When you're worried, it controls you. Jehoshaphat, he did become afraid. He was a little worried, but he did something about it. He prayed. And not only did he pray, but he had everyone pray and fast. And look at Second Chronicles, and look in verse 12 of chapter 20 of Second Chronicles. This is part of his prayer. And I love the honesty here. He says, Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Oh, man. Here's a guy who did not have anything to solve this problem. He knew that if he got into battle with these, with these two nations, he knew he was going to lose. So his life was in danger. The nation was in danger. And so he had a lot to lose. But he admitted and he was honest. He said, Lord, they're much stronger than I am. How many of you ever faced a situation that was overwhelming? And way too much for you to handle and way too much for you to deal with. You didn't know what to do. The only thing to do is to pray. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, but instead, in everything, you pray. Jehoshaphat prayed. He didn't panic, didn't make any desperate decisions, did not run and hide, but he set himself to seek the Lord and pray and fast about his concerns. So you can say that Jehoshaphat sought the kingdom of God first. And when he did that, all of his concerns and all of his worries was was taken care of. Because if you read the rest of the story, he faced his enemy with the choir and the music ministry. And they just began to praise and worship. And while they were praising and worshiping, God took care of the business. Amen. That's the way God works. Here's another story before I close. Jacob and Esau, you know the story. Jacob was a man who robbed his brother's blessings, which belonged to the firstborn. Of course, his mother put him up to that. And the scripture says in Genesis chapter 27, verse 41, you don't need to turn there, that when Esau found out that his blessings was robbed, you can say that he was pretty angry. Because he goes on to say that, When the days of mourning of my father are at hand, then I will kill my brother Jacob. And of course, the mother said, you know what? I don't think you need to be hanging around here. Why don't you hang out with with Uncle Laban? And so Uncle Laban took him in, stayed there for over 20 years. Then he finally gathered up his family, decided to go. And then one day, his messenger, messenger said, hey, your brother Esau is just up the road. And he's coming for you with 400 men. Now, when you hear something like that, that's going to cause you to say, okay, what am I going to do here? So in Genesis chapter 32, let's go there, verse 6. Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, we came to your brother Esau, and, and he also is coming to meet you. 
and 400 men are with him. And so Jacob, verse 7, was greatly afraid and distressed. Would you say that he was worried? He was very much worried because he remembered the threat that his brother Jacob made. That when he found him, he was going to kill him. And so look down in verse 11. This is his prayer to God. Even though he became afraid and distressed, the first thing he did before he made any decision was to pray. He said, deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. That was his prayer. Very simple, very direct. Save me from my brother Esau. And God heard his prayer. This is what I love about this story. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. When he prayed, God did some wonderful things. Because while Esau was on his way to meet with his brother Jacob, something happened. Because in chapter 33, in verse 4, Esau, when he saw Jacob, he ran to meet him, embraced him, and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they both wept. <laughs> Boy, God knows what he's doing, isn't he? But how many of you know that things happen when we pray? And I, I know what some of you are thinking. I pray all the time and nothing happens. I've been praying for the same thing for years and nothing happened. There you go. Keep praying. Thank you, John. Maybe I'll have you sit there. It'll be my backup. Jesus says in Matthew 26, 41, Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. That is the temptation to worry. For the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. How do you overcome worry? Praise. And I have to leave you with this. Psalm 30, Psalm 34 verse 1 says this. I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth. When David wrote this, it was at a very difficult time in his life. He was running away from Saul, who was out to get him, to kill him. He went and sought help from Abimelech, hoping that Abimelech will take him in and protect him. But that didn't happen, so he got disappointed. So he was forced to live in caves and, be, um, and become a fugitive. And here he is in a cave, living in caves, not knowing if he's going to get into, if he's going to find food the next day, not knowing if, if Saul's going to find him and catch him, not knowing where he was going to go. But yet he, he prayed this prayer and he, and he sang this song. He says, even though I'm living in this cave, and if I have to live in this cave for the rest of my life, I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise will constantly and continuously be in my mouth. He says at all times, not just the good times, but he's saying this in one of his worst times. And of course, you know the rest of the story. He reclaimed his kingdom and did some wonderful things, became the greatest king ever. See, God already knew that. Because God already knows the end from the beginning. He knows your end from the beginning. So don't you think it's best to trust him? Trust him with your life. Even though you may not have all the answers, even though you may not know where he's taking you, 
Let me encourage you. Don't spend your time worrying because worry doesn't work. But spend time praying. Spend time praising. Spend time seeking God first. And keep casting all those cares to the designated area that God has provided for us. When you do that, not only will you live a worry-free life, but you'll be able to overcome all temptations to worry. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight. Thank you, Father God, for all that you've done and all that you continue to do in our lives. Thank you, Lord God, for helping us to not worry about the things that, that we worry so much about, the things that, that cause us to lose sleep, the things that cause us to lose our appetite. But, Father, today I make this proclamation that I'm going to cast all of my cares, all of my worries, all of my fears on you. And, Father, you're taking responsibility over those things. I'm just going to live free, live at peace, live with joy, and live a worry-free life because that's what you want from me. Lord, I thank you for taking care of my needs. I thank you for taking care of my situation. Father, I thank you for your protection. Lord, I thank you for your comfort. I thank you for your direction. Father, I thank you for strength. Father, I thank you for meeting every need in every area of my life. And I can thank you because I know you care about me. And I know that's what you want from me. So, Father, I'm not going to worry anymore. I'm not going to waste time worrying anymore. Lord, I'm not going to lose sleep worrying about things. I'm just going to cast them over to you and trust that you're going to take care of that. So, Father, I thank you. And, Lord, I thank you for speaking to the lives of everyone that are here tonight. Father, you remove the spirit of worry from their lives and replace it with a spirit of peace and a spirit of joy. And, Lord, I thank you, Father, as we look forward to uh, a future, Father God, filled with peace and joy and, and, and anxiety-free, Father God. Hallelujah. And Father, you've made it all possible. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.